Welcome to the Inspired Journeys podcast, where I have conversations with people who make a big impact on Jewish life. We will talk about their life's journeys and how they came to where they are today. There is so much that we can learn from their stories, dedication, and perseverance. In episode three, I talk with Dr. Michael Horowitz, a PhD in philosophy who was a professor at Loyola University. Michael is currently learning in the Mayanot Yeshiva in Yerushalayim. Michael began his journey to Yiddishkeit with, with Rabbi Yoel Wolf, a Chabad rabbi in Rogers Park, Illinois, who was also a former classmate of mine. Because of COVID requiring remote instruction, Michael is able to attend Yeshiva while teaching philosophy over Zoom. As a matter of fact, Michael was able to defend his dissertation and earn his doctorate while at Mayanot, the only student of Mayanot to have ever done so. Join us on our fascinating discussion about Michael's journey to Yiddishkeit and yeshiva learning. Hi, Michael. Thank you so much for agreeing to be interviewed. It's a big honor. Um, of course. Well, thanks for uh, giving me the opportunity to share my story. So Michael is a Balchuva from Chicago. He's a close friend of my classmate, Yo Wolf, Rabbi Yo Wolf. Um, you're from Highland Park, Illinois? Yes, I am. So what's some of the, like the background or the history of your family, like in terms of Jewish practice, traditionalism, and so on? Uh, the history of my family. My parents are both uh, J- Jewish on both sides. My grandparents on my mother's side are still alive, and they all um, they all like being Jewish and are proud to be Jewish, and they are interested in supporting Jewish causes and things like that. But uh, my family is very secular. Otherwise, they're uh, they're not observant. I wasn't raised observant. We did belong to a reform synagogue when I was growing up in Highland Park. And we even attended that synagogue on a few select days. <laughs> but uh, for the most part, I, did, I wasn't raised with much of a uh, Jewish upbringing. Wow, so when did you start to become more interested in Judaism? I didn't discover Judaism, or I wasn't receptive to it until my adult life. And for me, it it came at a a time during graduate school when, because of other things going on in my life, I was really starting to think about marriage, and I was starting to think about what kind of culture I wanted to embrace in my life and what things were important to me and uh, what kind of role I wanted my career to play in my life and all these other things. And so within that context, I became open to learning more about my heritage, which I knew almost nothing about. I became interested in learning about this book called the Torah, which I was told that is uh, important and, uh, and in that, uh, at that time, I reached out 
to a local Chabad shliach to do some Torah study. And that's really what started everything for me. So if you grew up in a reformed temple, like attending a reformed temple, why did you think to go and reach out to Chabad and not like a reformed rabbi, for example, or the Hillel? Uh, well, the answer to that is Chabad was a last resort. Uh, I did try reaching out to Hillel and that didn't work. I did try reaching out to a reform synagogue in my neighborhood and that didn't work either. Uh, I mean, I could, the reasons why it didn't work, I don't, I, I, all I can really say is that it didn't feel right. Uh, there was some ring of authentic of, of uh, unauthenticity to it. I felt like it was missing something, but I didn't know what. I couldn't. I couldn't put it into words, and I decided to call up uh, this this Chabad shliach, who's actually a mutual friend of ours, as you know. Um, his name is Yoel Yoel Wolf. I decided to call him up because one of my colleagues suggested uh, that I had talked to him. I was, I was telling one of my colleagues where I, where I teach at, at Loyola University that I'm looking for a Torah study class. I want, I want something serious, not just, uh, it has to be accessible to beginners, but it can't be too handholdy. And he said, well, do you know Yoel Wolf? And that's how it started. He, he recommended contacting Yoel and that's what I did. Yoel at the time had a Monday night for a study group with two, uh, two guys in it. So it was a small group, but the, the guys were interesting and committed and we really had a lot of fun during those sessions. But uh, uh, that's really where it started. It started at Yoel's home in Rogers Park. I would uh, walk there once a week. He would serve snacks and we would read a little further in the, in the Torah. He would illuminate the passages for us with the wisdom of the sages and with anecdotes from his own teachers and with uh, thoughts of his about their, their personal significance. So it was, uh, it, was, it was really in his home that I first opened my eyes to Judaism and the study with him then led to Shabbat dinners and to holiday celebrations. Uh, from there, my interest in Judaism just grew slowly but steadily. Uh, those, those early experiences had a very uh, strong impact on me. And it was really the, the kind of specialness of being invited into his home having meals with his, uh, with his wife Rifki and his daughter Chaya that allowed me to see the, the beauty of the culture. And even now, as I learn more about Judaism, as I continue with my studies, I'm always thinking back to those early experiences and trying to recreate the, the magic of them and the innocence of that experience. What were you expecting when you first heard somebody suggest Chabad, go to Chabad. Did you have any preconceived notions about what Chabad is all about? 
Um, I had been to one, one or two Chabad meals at the, the school I was attending at the University of Illinois at Chicago. Uh, the, the meals, however, were pretty crowded. There were a lot of people there. So I didn't, I didn't have any kind of intimate experience with, with uh, a Chabad family until I met Yoel and we had these small group sessions and we had dinners and celebrations and things like that. But I didn't, I didn't know much about Chabad. I, I remember I had asked uh, Bensi Shemtov, who is the, the shliach over at, at UIC, what the difference was between Chabad and Hillel. And uh, it was so funny because he was, he was trying to he was trying not to say anything bad about Hillel, <laughs> but at the same time, uh, I think the fact of the matter is that Hillel tries to be so accessible to every type of Jew that they have in effect watered down Judaism quite a bit. And that's what I had felt when I had gone there. I didn't feel like I was having an authentic uh, encounter with Judaism. And so that drove me away. But uh, I didn't know I didn't know much of anything about Chabad. I, I thought it was called Chabad. Like I had no idea. I was clueless. <laughs> There's a large Chabad in Highland Park. Did you ever pass by, walk in? I had no idea. I I am sure I had passed by many times without knowing what it was. But since uh, since I've become more involved i've i've also gone to attend the shul there and uh i've befriended uh rabbi shanowitz i think is his name he's a great guy uh, i know the, that highland park has a, has a really good program and uh good good people but i didn't know anything about it before my uh before my uh, being drawn in by by yoel in your, in your path to Judaism, which you said was like a slow growth, were there ever ups and downs where you were, you were thinking, should I continue with this or should I not continue? Um, I'm sure there were. There, I'm sure there were ups and downs. But one thing I appreciate about Chabad is that I never felt pushed. Uh, my, my progress was always self-driven. And I think it was important to the mentors and friends that I've, that I've had to, uh, to keep it that way. They didn't, they didn't want to, they weren't trying to uh, make me observant or push me into any kind of lifestyle. They were just there to teach me a little bit more and answer my questions and uh, make me feel included and give me an opportunity to participate in the, uh, the rituals and the lifestyle. So I think for, for me, the process has been very slow and steady. I know for some other people, it's not like that, but, um, but uh, let's see, ups and downs. Uh, I've, I went through my own, uh, my own milestones and thresholds when it came to taking on new elements of observance. Uh, 
for example, I remember making the decision to first wear a yarmulke uh, out, of my, out of my home and then later on to wear a yarmulke to my classes where I teach. And that was, that was a bit of an experiment. I didn't know, I didn't know what to expect. I felt very self-conscious about it. Uh, it was certainly not something that Chabad had suggested for me to do or had pushed me to do, but, um, but at the time I was reading a lot of literature about the Rebbe and uh, a lot of uh, people's encounters about people's, people's encounters with the Rebbe. And I was just inspired by the, the mission of outreach that's so central to Chabad that I wanted to um, take on more of a, uh, I don't know, to an, an active role in presenting Yiddishkeit and spreading Yiddishkeit. For me at the time, that meant uh, putting on a yarmulke, even though I, did, I didn't know much about, I, I still was very uh, new to Judaism. And in fact, I was a little bit, I had a, what is it called, like imposter syndrome. Like I was, a, I was a little bit worried that somebody would see me with a yarmulke and assume that I knew a lot about Judaism and ask me about it. But as it turned out, uh, most people didn't much care one way or the other. That's what you find. You, you know, when people, when, when uh, you express your identity with confidence, people don't much bother you for it. Very nice. Um, so from learning with Yoel, uh, you eventually uh, start, uh, are in Jerusalem learning in Yeshiva. How did that chain of event happen? Um, well, that was something that was uh, suggested to me and slowly began to uh, be a real possibility and and uh, I, I never honestly I never thought I would actually be attending yeshiva right right now I'm speaking to you from the the roof of the Mayanot yeshiva in Jerusalem looking at the beautiful skyline of Jerusalem and making friends with the pigeons up here and uh, how did I get here I it was a it was a chain of events that I never expected to happen. But um, before, I, before I tell you about that, um, there, was a, uh, there were a couple of things I wanted to mention about my um, path in the discovery of Judaism during the, during the early times of it. Um, so there, are, there was, when I just reached out to UL and was trying to learn about Judaism, there was a kind of um, urgency to uh, to that for a couple reasons. One reason is that at the time in my life, I was becoming more disillusioned with the secular culture and it's the emphasis it places on materialism and on commercialism and on uh, political partisanship and these things that were beginning to weigh down on me spiritually. So I began seeing the culture around me as something ugly and I was looking for something beautiful and pure that I could stand behind in my life. And so that's what I, that's why I, I looked in, in Judaism and that's what I found in Judaism. 
And from speaking with other students here at Maya Note, it seems like that's a very common experience among Balchuva uh, students. Do you think it has so, something to do with your was, um, PhD in philosophy and the fact that you're a musician, that you were looking for something deeper, something more meaningful? Uh, that was part of it. I probably would have had the same, um, had the same feeling of dis disillusionment with the culture, no matter what I was doing at the time. But there was another, uh, another reason that has more to do with my personal situation with my career, which is that uh, when I first when I first met Yoel, he asked me why I, why why I was interested in Torah study, and I don't remember exactly what I told him. I'm I'm sure I told him something about you know reading in books or uh, I don't know. But the truth is, I was really depressed at the time because my career was becoming stalled. I had been seeking my uh, degree in philosophy for several years. And the dissertation, which is this book length project that you need to graduate, had hit a dead end. And it was, it, it had just become a, a very difficult thing for me. I was trying to push through it every day. I was working on it for hours and hours. And it wasn't making any progress. Uh, my advisors were starting to lose faith in the project. And uh, I, I became very depressed. And I, I was kind of looking for solace. So when I decided to, I think as a, as a kind of reactionary impulse, I was looking to, toward Torah study. I don't know why. I don't know. Uh, I don't know where that came from, really. But, uh, but it was a it was a good thing because I ended up discovering that Judaism, doing Torah study, celebrating Shabbat, doing these things, became an immense uh, help to me and a source of of uh, comfort and a source of. Uh, kind of identity for me during a time when I wasn't sure whether I wanted to stick with my on, on that career track and all these other things. So uh, I also discovered that, um, and the, I don't know, this one, this point is kind of hard to put into the words, but when you get really depressed, you become trapped in a uh, cycle of self centered thinking. And you start to kind of pity yourself and then you feel guilty for pitying yourself. And then you pity yourself for feeling guilty that you're pitying yourself. And it just becomes a, a, a loop. Uh, and it, it really starts to take a toll on you uh, emotionally and physically and spiritually. And you also find that the normal activities that you would do to give you a sense of comfort and enjoyment, they no longer give you that comfort and enjoyment they kind of abandon you and for me that meant like playing music hanging out with friends taking walks um, all the things that that normally uh, I enjoyed doing and they gave me a sense of comfort suddenly no longer did and then when you discover that you're no longer getting that comfort that itself is a kind of scary thing to discover and so that just feeds into 
the, uh, the, 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 the loop that's going on in your mind. But what I discovered is that through these elements of observance, like prayer and Torah study and Shabbat, these other things, that I was able to redirect all that mental energy away from myself and toward Hashem uh, or, you know, toward these loftier things. And uh, the, it didn't make the sadness go away. There's still a lot of, you know, there's still a lot of stress I was under and a lot of sadness, but at least I could direct that mental energy toward beautiful things, toward the words of Torah, toward the messages of Torah. And uh, that was a very, it was a very interesting time for me. It was a very big shift of perspective that, uh, that went along with that discovery that there is this one thing during this time of difficulty that really gave me uh, the, a, a deep comfort and allowed me to take a, a breath and see things from a refreshed perspective and discover a, a reservoir of energy and of inspiration. So did it give you the mental focus to just do the final push and finish your dissertation? It, it did, yeah, it absolutely helped. And uh, I, think, I think beyond helping me with the focus, it also just restored, uh, restored a sense of uh, identity and perspective to me that was badly needed. So with that perspective restored, I was able to proceed with my work uh, with the confidence that regardless of whether it turned out well, if it didn't turn out well, things were gonna be okay. Uh, I, I, uh, I, I felt that there was a plan for me one way or the other. Regardless of, of whether my, my plans had worked you know, the way I wanted them to or not, or would work out that way, I felt that there was a higher plan and a higher intention for me. So that's, that's what gave me the confidence to keep pushing. And I had also received a lot of encouragement from my Chabad friends. You know, they, they, at times they just told me, don't give up, keep pushing um, for, for better or worse. <laughs> they research with you like uh, the sort of perspective on depression and or if you have obstacles in your way or what Hasidus says about it. Um, not so much. The, the topic didn't, didn't really come up, actually. I, I, don't, I don't think I really discussed it much with them at the time. I really, when I was with them, I just wanted to learn Torah. You know, I wanted to know more about Torah. And, and uh, to the extent that Hasidus came into things, it was not through Tanya or through mimers or sikhas, which are the discourses of the, of the Rebbe's but it was really just through anecdotes and stories and um, people's descriptions of their own encounters with the Rebbe. So that was really my, my only understanding of Hasidus. And to this day, those, that genre of literature is still one that I turn to, to, to find a lot of inspiration. I, I'm a sucker for a good story. <laughs> Did you get integrated in the wide, in the broader 
Chabad community in Chicago? A bit. Uh, I did get integrated into the community a bit. So I, I was able to meet some people through, through uh, Yoel. And I, I never became very involved, but I did start attending uh, Shabbat services at a very small shul near my apartment in the basement of a nursing home. Uh, and it was, we, we always barely had a minion, but I think having that, having that there during that, during that time for me was extremely important. And uh, I, I met a number of people through UL who became just instrumental in my ability to uh, work through the problems I was having with my uh, dissertation and uh, also to my journey uh, discovering more about Judaism. So for example, um, early on, Yoel put me in touch with a professor of theoretical physics who works at the school that I was at getting my degree. Uh, his name is David Imbo. And uh, I think a lot of people know, know who that is now because he's been doing some, uh, some lectures. He's kind of been doing the circuit, but I met him before, you know, before his, he was a, he was a name. So, um, so we met up at UIC and he gave me some very good advice about my, uh, my, my uh, dissertation. He said, he asked me how often I was meeting with my dissertation advisor. And I told him, I told him, you know, every once in a while, a month, every, every month, every couple months, he told me as difficult as it is, you have to meet once a week. So I decided to follow his advice about that. And at the time, it was really stressful for me to meet with my advisor. And it, it was so stressful, it would make me sick. Like I wouldn't eat the whole morning that I had to meet with my advisor. I wouldn't be able to eat anything. I would feel sick to my stomach. But as it turned out, um, on the days that I would go to meet my advisor, I could always find a time to meet with David Imbo. And so that gave me a, just a, um, I don't know, like a, an extra push to be able to do that. And, uh, and then, when, then I would meet with David Imbo either before or after my meeting with my advisor, and we would talk Judaism. You know, we would just talk things totally unrelated to uh, school. Uh, he would tell me about his own experiences and we would talk about ideas and physics a little bit <laughs> and uh, philosophy and all sorts of interesting stuff. So he was very helpful. He gave me my, my a sitter. He gifted me a sitter, which uh, I brought with me to Maya Note. And through him, I met uh, another family that was very, uh, very prominent in my journey. Uh, Simcha and Middle Cantor, who uh, live also in West Rogers Park, they ended up hosting me for just countless, just countless Shabbat lunches, where I would talk to them about all sorts of topics related to Judaism and Hasid. And even more importantly, they have they they have the the coolest children who I just fell in love with. So I, would, I was a regular at their place for Shabbat lunches and for other celebrations. And uh, the experience I had with them really solidified my idea of what a good 
uh, a good um, family is like. You know, they, <laughs> there's always so much fun at their house. They always had this such uh, crazy things going on. I used to teach their children magic tricks because I made the mistake of the first time I went over, I showed a magic trick to one of their children. And then every time after that, they would always ask me, show me a magic trick. So I, even though I only knew that one trick, I had to keep inventing new ones and keep, uh, keep uh, thinking of new things to keep them entertained. But we just had so much fun together. So it was great. And it was really through them that I um, started to think about Maya Note because Simcha had first suggested to me the idea of going to yeshiva, he had uh, been in Morristown and he, he was saying that that would be, uh, if I could find a, a week, a couple of weeks in my teaching schedule to, uh, to, to go do that, it would be very helpful. And then later on, as the pandemic progressed and all my work went online, uh, my, my schedule opened up and I had this opportunity to uh, take a large amount of time and travel somewhere. And so I remember I was talking to, to Gittle, Simcha's wife on the phone. And I was saying, oh, you know, I, I just don't think I can go anywhere, but it, it, it is kind of interesting that I did just, a lot of my work just went online. And she just, she just told me over the phone, oh my gosh, you've got to go. You've got to call Rabbi Shem Tov right now. She was like so excited about it. And uh, that, I, I did, you know, <laughs> I hung up the phone and I called Rabbi Shem Tov here, who uh, is the head of my note. And uh, I said, uh, Gittel Cantor says I have to come here. <laughs> uh, and so that's, that's history. That's how it happened. Was Yeshiva culture shock for you when you, when you arrived? Um, I thought it would be, but it, it ended up being uh, such a good fit that it, it felt so natural. Uh, there, of course, were things that I had to get used to, the whole tempo of life here, the whole, um, the, the praying every day, the, uh, the classes and the Fabrangans and things like that. Um, but my biggest worry coming here was that I would find that the students, I just didn't relate well to them. And I would find that it just wasn't my crowd. But that worry was dashed on the first day. As soon as I came, I immediately, um, I, I immediately connected with a bunch of the guys and it just felt like a family reunion. I could tell that it was gonna be great. Uh, I was also, or I am also older than a lot of the guys here. I'm, I'm 33 right now. And I was, I was 32 when I came. And most of the guys here are in their teens or twenties. <laughs> and so that was another um, slight worry. But uh, as it turns out, that wasn't an issue either because I, uh, I'm pretty adaptable. And uh, I like, uh, I've, I've been able to make really good friends here. Uh, a lot of the guys here, I'll say they're more mature in their age. I'll say that rather than saying that I'm less mature than my age. <laughs> Are you, do you have a special focus on Jewish philosophy? Because you have such a strong uh, base of knowledge in the secular philosophy. So has it interested you to explore? 
Uh, that's a good question. Yeah, do I have a special focus on Jewish philosophy? I do have a special interest uh, in making and drawing connections between Jewish philosophy and secular philosophy. Uh, so that's, when you're learning new things, it always helps to have, has, have a, a comparison. So I do find that, um, that my interest is really piqued when I can draw a comparison between the two. And lucky for me, there's a teacher here, Rabbi Kaufman, who is just extremely well, well-versed in philosophy. And he um, has been a great um, to bounce ideas off of. And, uh, and we, we, we just were a natural eliminate some idea or to help draw a contrast. Uh, for example, just yesterday, I was talking with Mendel Jaffe, one of the uh, Shulchim here, and we were discussing the um, one of the core concepts of Hasidus, which is the division of the soul into parts. And you find that in the Tanya, um, usually people talk about the soul being divided into the, uh, the animal soul and the godly soul uh, into these two parts. But you know, as you go into it, it's it's, uh, it's more complicated than that. There's, you can you can see uh, there's also a way of dividing it into the uh, the animal part, the intellectual part, and the godly part. And the division of the soul into parts is something that has uh, a very old, a very long tradition in in philosophy, going back at least to Plato. Plato. Uh, says in his in his most well known dialogue, which is the foundational text for political philosophy called the Republic, he divides the soul into three parts, and according to uh, Plato, the parts he he says there's a pleasure seeking part, which he represents with a a many headed beast, like a beast with all sorts of heads that are like going pulling in different directions, and then there's the pride seeking part which he represents the lion. And then there's the rational part, which is the human being. And um, I just find it so fascinating that, um, that almost as a, uh, as, a, as, a, as a kind of paradigm contrast between secular philosophy and Judaism, you have in the secular, in the world of secular philosophy, you have the soul divided into parts where the highest part is the rational part. Whereas in Hasidus and Judaism, um, the highest part is the, is the godly part. And so this, this is an idea that comes up over and over again in Judaism and in thinking about the difference between Judaism and philosophy, that philosophers, um, they, you know, reason becomes the idol of the philosophers. They, they kind of hold reason up as the, um, as the kind of uh, the, the most important thing. Whereas in Judaism, reason is important, but there's a part of us that's higher than that. Is there anyone in the yeshiva that you connected to in a special way, any of the, the rabbis? Um, I, 
I think the yeshiva has a great collection of personalities here. Uh, the different rabbis are given plenty of autonomy to teach the courses they want to teach them the, the way that they want. And uh, I, I think... I think it's nice just to experience the variety of teaching styles and personalities. Uh, so yeah, there is, I mean, there are some that I connect with more than others, but uh, for the most part, uh, I think it's just nice to get the experience of the, um, of the, of the different perspectives especially when as a student, you ask the same question to multiple rabbis and you get different answers. Uh, that's one of the frustrating things for rabbi and one of the most um, enriching experiences of being a, uh, a student at the yeshiva. You've been in the academic world for pretty much your entire life and now you're working in the academic world. Is there like a major, major difference between the style of, let's say, a, a professor in a secular university and a rabbi in yeshiva? Oh, gosh. Uh, there is and there isn't. Uh, in some ways, it's very similar because teaching has all of its own difficulties, regardless of what you're trying to teach. Uh, however, one thing I've found is that at yeshiva, the commitment on the part of the teachers to the success of the students is um, supreme. It's just, it's, it's at a level that you don't find within the university because they are, the, the teachers here are taking a responsibility for not only teaching you a certain subject, but really for uh, the development of your soul in a way. Um, they, they take it very seriously that they are impacting your whole journey through Judaism. And as a result of that, you see in the, in the classes the kind of passion that they bring to the subject matter, the kind of... Um, personal nuance and uh, I don't know how to say, I guess that you, you, you can understand the significance it has in their own lives through the, the way that they, they teach and the kind of attention they give to each particular student. Uh, it's certainly no easy task to teach a group of students who all come to the, to the class at different levels of their own knowledge and understanding. We have, for example, a Gemara class where some students in the class are conversant in Hebrew and others like me are not. And that makes it not only difficult for the students, but it makes it very difficult to teach as well. But I think that Maya Note does a particularly good job of dealing with that situation. And really there's a kind of organized chaos in their approach to teaching which is that nothing is, nothing is set in stone and they're constantly probing the students for feedback about how the classes are going and how they can be better. And if a student needs extra help with something or if a student needs to um, 
instead of going to a certain class, maybe they could work one-on-one -on -one with, a, with a shliach instead. Uh, this is the kind of um, the method by which the yeshiva proceeds in order to accommodate these students with such different backgrounds and levels of information. So uh, it's been, I think it's been just a great, I've been very impressed by the, the quality of the instruction and the commitment that the teachers have to uh, the success of the students. Uh, not to mention the teachers, I, in all my years of college and uh, graduate school, I, I've been to teachers' homes uh, 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 maybe a handful of times, and it's always been very awkward and very staged. But here, the students regularly are, are getting to know the families of the teachers, which just deepens the, um, I think, the sense of you know, commitment that the teachers have to really learning about their students and, and teaching them in the best way. So it's been a very good experience. And also, I think there are a couple of people who are really at the helm of the ship here. Uh, I guess the, the main person is Rabbi Shemtov, and then the Rosh Hashiva is Rabbi Vikman. There are some people in life who are just literally born to do a certain job. And Rabbi Vignan is one of those people. Like this guy lives and breathes yeshiva. He, like his personality is just perfectly, it just perfectly matches his job title. And uh, I've never seen someone so good at like, uh, I don't know, easing tensions when they need to be eased. Uh, I've seen them leading this place through, through a pandemic through escalating political violence, through all sorts of things going on around us. And uh, it's just amazing how he's able to interact with the students. And the guy is, is funny. I mean, if he wasn't a Rosh Hashiva, he'd be a comedian. Like, he's one of the most like subtly funny people I've ever met. Uh, and so, you know, that's, that's Rabbi, Rabbi Viknin and everybody here loves him. And then Rabbi Shemtov, like he's also just one of these uh, uh, incredible leaders. He, uh, I don't know how the guy sleeps, honestly, because even though he's heading, heading the show, he, is, he makes himself so accessible to the students to the point that, you know, if you have a problem with just about anything, you can, you can text Rabbi Shemtov. He's constantly meeting with people and constantly talking to them. Uh, with you know about the most trivial things, and so it's uh, it's just amazing he's, that he can do that while he's also dealing with uh, the transition to the new building that Maya Note is uh, undertaking in the next year, with you know issues related to funding and related to management and all this other stuff. Uh, but I, I just I'm just very impressed by the the Maya Note leadership, and uh, I think that really. The, the people here are really what make the culture and they're really what make the, uh, the, uh, the achievements that happen here in personal growth possible. So I, I can't say enough about it. I've had a very good experience. Has this been your first trip to Israel? And also well, during the whole time we're here, have you had any like intensely religious experiences or spiritual experiences? Because Israel is after all the Jewish country, the homeland. 
That's a great question. Um, so this is not my first trip to Israel, but this is my first trip to Israel since having my eyes open to Judaism. Uh, I did go on a birthright trip a while back, but it was, um, it was uh, not a very positive experience because the group I was with was a group of partiers and I didn't learn much about Judaism while I was here. It left me with a very bad, bad uh, taste in my mouth, a bad impression of, uh, of Israel, unfortunately. I think that's probably the, the rare exception. I know a lot of people who have gone on birthright and had a, a, a great experience with it. Uh, so I guess I, I chose the wrong group and it didn't turn out so well. But um, have I had, a, have I had uh, a, a, any kind of religious experiences here? Um, I'm not, I'm, I, I, haven't, I haven't had religious experiences at the times that I'm supposed to. So I've gone to the Kotel many times, the, the Western Wall. Um, I have not had any deep, profound experiences while being there. I have not had any deep, profound experiences going to uh, the Arizal's mikvah and other um, sites of, of great spiritual significance. But I have had more um, subtle moments of just feeling a deep connection with the land and feeling, uh, feeling profoundly at home, feeling like I'm being embraced, you know, just like I, someone's arms are just curled around me. Uh, this, I think it's, you know, it's Jerusalem, it's Israel, it's being able to study Torah in Israel that, uh, gives me this amazing feeling of connectedness. And it's a feeling that comes and goes, it pops up in strange, you know, in unpredictable circumstances. But um, that's the extent of my uh, experience of religiousness. There have also been a number of just uh, amazing experiences that were not so religious, but very unique and one take away with me forever. So for instance, I, I didn't mention this earlier, but I actually, because of the pandemic, um, I was able to defend my dissertation remotely. So I, I, I am, as far as I know, the uh, first and the only person ever to defend a dissertation from my note, like literally from a classroom here, and also be awarded a, a, a doctoral degree uh, at my note. So... That was very exciting when it happened. And uh, there was, you know, <laughs> we, when, when, it, when it finished, it took, it took place in the middle of the night because it was midday in, in Chicago time. And when it finished, I was just totally exhausted, but everybody <laughs> was so excited that I, had, uh, that I had passed and that, you know, it was all, that it, it all went well. And, so we had a lot of uh, good celebrations. Uh, it was really uh, very memorable for me. What are your goals towards the future? My goals for the future? Well, I, I, ha I had considered making Aliyah here. Um, and it's still something that is, uh, is my, my guilty fantasy. But after speaking with the rabbis, 
we decided that um, going back to Chicago gives me better chances of being able to um, get married and start a family and do those important things. So for, for now, at least, uh, I'll be, I will be heading back to the States uh, and hopefully I can take what uh, the experience of Israel with me and uh, use it to illuminate the dark places. <laughs> and by that, I mean Chicago. <laughs> it's funny oh. because when I used to uh, walk to B'nai Ruvain, which is the big Chabad shul in Rogers Park, I would take Devon, which is the strip of Chicago that uh, is lined on both sides with clothing stores and jewelry stores. And it's a lot of Indian and, uh, and uh, Islamic type stuff. And so there are all these mannequins wearing, you know, pretty outfits and all this uh, spectacle. And so I used to, you know, on the way to the shul, it was like walking through the alley of idols. You know, you'd see all these mannequins with no faces and they're adorned with all these garments and stuff. And it made for a very great, uh, uh, it made for a lot of good stuff to think about. Uh, a, good, a lot of good philosophical thought on my way over to the shul. And so uh, I hope that when I go, get back to Chicago, I can take my experience with me and become, uh, put myself to some use in spreading Yiddishkeit. We didn't discuss it, discuss it in detail, but Michael is also a musician, and he's agreed to perform one of his one of his compositions for us. Of course, happy to. So this will be. Uh, so this is a song that I wrote during my journey in discovering Judaism in Chicago. And uh, it's a song that was inspired by the outreach mission of Chabad and by the work of the Shlichim. Uh, so here is a, here's the world debut of this song. It's called, What's Your Name? So hopefully, uh, so hopefully the sound will come out. All right, here we go. What are these hands made for? What are these hands made for? Lighting the street lamps with this torch. What's your name? What's your name? Lamplighter. They call me. What's your name? From the desert to the sea, through drought and darkness is where I'll be. I looked around and I because no I was chosen to choose myself. What are these hands made for? 
What are these hands made for? Digging the dry land to find water. What's your name? What's your name? Well, digger, they call me. What's your name? From the desert to the sea, through drought and darkness is where I'll be. I looked around and I saw no one else Cause I was chosen to choose myself The path to freedom has no golden glow It only sparkles through the cold the diamonds that I own are the orphans and the widows. What are these hands made for? What are these hands made for? And now the seed is yours to sow. Will you believe in tomorrow? What's your name? What's your name? Wow, beautiful. Very, very, very nice. Well, there you have it. World debut. And uh, I'm sure, David, with your extensive editing process that you can uh, auto-tune my voice and uh, put a full symphony of horns and strings behind the chords. It's beautiful as it is. <laughs> okay, thank you so much. Thank you very, very much. This is a very enlightening, illuminating um, interview. Thank you for graciously uh, giving me of your time and knowledge and wisdom. Of course, happy to do it, David. And uh, I, uh, it's, it's been a pleasure getting to know you and your family while I've been here. So hopefully we can stay in touch. Absolutely. Okay, take care. All right, bye-bye.